Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is Kira, your host, and my guest this evening is Jilly. We're going to be talking. We're going to do a plot drift, probably. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) And our plot drift topic is Dr. Rodney McKay joins the Atlantis expedition in the second wave. Um. I threw on my customer service voice. <laughs> Everybody's got one. That was mine. <laughs> when I used to work, um, where I worked before I stopped doing that, <laughs> you know, working, um, um, my assistant thought it was the creepiest thing she'd ever seen because I could go from being like this, you know, talking just like this to that. When I picked pick, pick, pick up the phone and it was just the weirdest thing that it was, she was just like, she couldn't, she didn't even know what that was. Yeah. Did you were you ever in the radio and at, at in high school or college? Did you ever do radio? College. Yeah, because you do have to be able to. I think that's one thing that sort of at some it sort of trains you at some point to be able to really change your vocal quality. Um, if you've had any experience with that, so it certainly people pick it up in customer service, but it takes a while to to get that customer service voice down. <sighs> sometimes i do it when i answer my phone if i don't know the number and the last time i got a prank phone call i um i kind of pranked them back i'm like well yo why have you on the phone can i talk to you about (laughs) so i was trying to sell them something i forget what it was it's been a couple months and they were like i'm trying to talk to you i said no 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 no. you know since you called me and i have a quarter to make (laughs) While you're here, <laughs> they hung there up is, on me. You know, there's that yeah. new app. You know, there's that app that somebody created that will um, me around. I don't remember. I don't remember what it's called, but it deals with robocallers by engaging the robocaller. Um, <laughs> it, it it talks to them for you. So like you just sit there and it just talks to the robocaller and leads them on. It's sort of like revert. It's sort of like trolling them. Uh, I don't know who thought of this as a means to deal with robocallers, but I approve. I approve. You robocall me, I'm gonna robo answer you. <laughs> this app is going to fuck with you. Just two machines talking to each other. Nothing is getting accomplished. Okay, so Rodney joins the expedition in the second wave. And in what might have been, he never went at all because his sister got cancer and his, um, her husband died uh, in a car accident. And of course, he was a jackass anyway, and he'd been cheating, so it doesn't really matter about him. Um, but the end result was is that McKay didn't didn't feel like he could leave Earth because um, his sister uh, had cancer. She had a baby, and and he had responsibilities on Earth that he just couldn't, you know that no good person would walk away from, right? So, um, 
Right. And so, and in what might have been, he never goes. I mean, they're planning on it. They're planning to right. go, but that's not where the that's not where things are. When we last, when we last are with the shepherds, the shepherd McKay household, they have they have not gone. Right. And John's a big ass general anyway. So. Yeah. That the, that's like my wish fulfillment series. Just make myself happy, doing crazy <laughs> shit that's completely unrealistic, but I don't care. We we how long did it take us to come up with the name of that idfic? Yeah, what might have been was your idfic? Is my idfic? It just made her id all kinds of happy. Well, if anybody's id's going to be happy, it should be mine. In your story, sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I mean. Well, yeah, I'm just not planning on pleasing your id in my stories. (laughs) But you do often. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a bonus. If there's anybody else's id I'd like to please, I'd like it to be yours. I was working on something recently. And I was like, this is, I actually had the thought, this is a bad idea. I'm just, I'm supercharging this character a little too much. And my head's like, shut up. <laughs> We're having fun. Stop ruin it. Don't ruin it Su- for us. Supercharge the fuck out of them. I mean, I do. I can, I Go try to. hog. He can yeah. fly. <laughs> Literal God. Um, Superman. I mean, I did make one character practically Superman. So, you know. Why not? But I, I have these moments. I'm like, I gotta rein myself in. They can't literally do anything because then they have no obstacles and there's no story. Um. <sighs> well, Ellie, he wasn't on the jumper to begin with in 38 minutes. It was Taylor and Ford in the back of that jumper with with John. Cannon? No, it was Roddy was back there. And Ford. Taylor yeah, dragged him through the through the wormhole. Yeah. I don't Rod- remember Rodney being there. Don't remember what? I don't remember him being there. Oh, he was there. Cause that's what the first, that's one of the first times you see him really kind of pulling it out with the ancient technology with doing mm-hmm. all the reprogramming of the crystals and stuff. I mean, he was just yanking crystals left, right and center to try to get those side things to come in so that they weren't stuck. Um, Here's the thing about a ripple like McKay. If McKay is not on the city, events ripple out a lot differently. There's every reason to believe that John would have never been in that situation to begin with. That yeah. John even wouldn't have went on that mission. Right. Now, I, th- I think if I were to... Like my first blush approach to McKay not being there, I don't go in necessarily for the idea that they wouldn't have had somebody competent there that could have done stuff. But I I think I would want to explore the idea that they couldn't keep the city functional without him, that his his aptitude with ancient technology and his ability to figure out and interpret what the ancients did was really unparalleled. Not that they didn't have other smart people. And so I think I'd go the direction that they had to abandon the pretty city pretty soon. They couldn't maintain power, that it's sitting on the ocean, um, and that some things happen, but like a very pretty early on, they're like in a, they're like living with the Ethosians or they're they've created an alpha site and they only go back to the city periodically. Um, or they've left a message for the SGC there explaining where they are in the event they ever come with power. I think that's the direction I probably would want to most explore with Rodney not being there, um, is that they haven't been able to maintain the city. And that um, when the Daedalus shows up um, to, to see what's going on, 
that they find this message about where they are and they maybe install power or get maybe something running and they go go get them and like well if we're about the city work we gotta have somebody better and get them to then re recruit mckay to come out and then you kind of avoid a lot of stuff that happened you could kind of avoid the janai stuff because if they've been in a position where they don't really have the city they're just kind of um kind of like refugees in pegasus they just they don't really have a home base or something you know, like a lot of people are still alive, but there's just, you know, not, a lot of that stuff wouldn't have happened. And so you would avoid things like 38 minutes and all that other stuff. So where was McKay? We know McKay is part of the SGC. Was he still True, in but, Siberia? Well, I probably would have him double bird them and walk away over being sent to Siberia. That's probably why I would go have him to know. Siberia. I can say you. no. Yeah, when they said you were sending you to Siberia, he could be like, eh. Like, no, it happened because I'm not wearing a uniform. You can suck it. And I would probably make his employment contract, you know, with the Canadian can, you know, his government backed him up with the IOA that he didn't have to fulfill those terms. And maybe that when um, the SGC tried to send him there, they violated the terms of Rodney's employment contract. And maybe they had to pay a penalty to Rodney, um, as well as letting Rodney out of the contract he had with the SGC. Um, it puts a lot of bitterness there that they'd have to go all out to get him back. I actually think he'd be more bitter if he went there. Um, I actually don't know why he wasn't more bitter. I think that, I think the allure of the ancient technology actually potentially could be that the, um, you know, the allure of the ancient technology, because he wouldn't have known that they found Atlantis, right? And Atlantis could be the lure that they need to get him because he wouldn't know that because he left, right? Right. So he wasn't he wasn't ever working on that project. So all he walked away was from whatever his projects were at Area 51. So So he never went to the outpost. He never saw any of that stuff. Nope. I think he could do that idea and keep them on the city because one's the problem about keeping not let, of of taking them off the city is it leaves the city vulnerable to people like the Janai. Assuming that the gate's functional. Which, yeah, they wouldn't want to make the gate not functional. So I don't know. Hmm. The thing is, if they stay on the city, I don't know. I'd have to think about how you would have it. Because I like the idea of them kind of being more like refugees rather than a functional colony. Because they can't really keep the city maintained. They could be, maybe they're limited to small living quarters or... They could all just be living in that one central tower because that's the only one they can keep powered with the, with the Nyquita um, generator they've got. And they can't repair enough of maybe the relays to get the other power up. Um, they haven't, and because of power conservation, they haven't been able to explore. Um, and they're basically living hand to mouth. Yeah. So they, but this, but you'd have to be. We would think that most of their of the missions they would go on would be like very carefully prioritized missions with trading partners, and. Right. In which case, they could have run across the Janai because Taylor clearly thought that they were good trading partners. I think that Radic and could 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 keep them alive. I agree. I think he could probably keep, but he would be fighting basically a battle by himself. Um, he doesn't have Rodney's scope. Um, Zelinka's an engineer. Um. So he doesn't have Rodney's scope, and he doesn't have Rodney's. Um, uh, I guess it, I, I guess it does boil down to scope because I don't because you know the thing is I think that 
uh, most of the scientists on Atlantis and at the SGC are gifted. They are the cream of the crop. But on top of that crop sits McKay and Carter. And so, and there's a difference between being gifted and being a genius in that the way you problem solve and the way you even view the universe. Um, I encountered someone who was really, really super stupid smart. Um, and it was, it was obvious in any conversation that you have with this person that they did not perceive reality the same way you do. It was bizarre. It was weird. And perception is everything. So, well, I think that Zelenka, Gordon, Simpson could probably, um, Kasanji, if she went, could keep Atlantis functioning on a minimal level and keep them alive. I don't think they could make her live again. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. The storm does, I think the storm does become the big stumbling block because you could, yeah, you could step through the events of season one and say, okay, well, you, you could make a plausible case for almost none of it happening because they went different places at different times. Um, you know, without Rodney being a factor and some of, some of how the mission selection went, they could have wasted more time in whittling down viable Stargate sites. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could avoid some things. You can't avoid that storm. Um, and without, the fixed relays now they can get off the city that's obviously not the problem but, but I, it, Atlantis it's not, gets destroyed right the storm becomes a problem even if the Jedi are not there it's a problem now it it is said that necessity is the invention of is the event get it out for me necessity of the mother of invention yes um so there's every reason to believe that, given time and resources, that Zelenka could have come across that solution that McKay did. But they would have it to fix. Some... Well, that's true. And Zelenka was involved in that solution to begin with in canon. Um, but they had to fix those relays. Now, if they're having a hard time or whatever they're called, the grounding station, not the relays, the grounding stations. They had to fix the grounding stations to make it work. And if they weren't invaded by the Janai, Rat would have had more time and less stress involved in, in, in getting those fixed. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I've all the episodes in season one, um, I think I could just step through them and figure out which events I wanted to happen, even tangentially, um, and which events I would just hand wave and go, no, that didn't happen because things are just different. Um, but I, I, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel like I needed to like sit down in order to write this. I would, wouldn't need to like sit down and write, uh, you know, re rewatch the entirety of season one. But I think I would need to rewatch the storm to figure out some kind. The other thing that it could be is that whatever minimal power reserves Atlantis has, um, there was that, um, what if there's, I mean, what if, we never see the city get close to get, getting destroyed, right? Um, because Rodney always figured out a solution. Rodney and Zelenka and, and Miko, they always figured out something, right? They always figured out a way to protect the city. But what if the city had a, like a, a, a protocol, like if it was like in dire jeopardy, that it would do something? Like there was, and there was nobody working on it. And let's say she's sentient enough to be able to understand if nobody's on the right solution. So she could either provide the solution 
or there's a reserve power or something that they don't have access to that is for these kinds of emergency situations to get the shield up over critical parts of the city um, for those lightning strikes. I, I think there's some ways that it could be. In the chat, Ellie just um, put a transcript in from um, the storm and Zelinka and McKay had the idea for the grounding stations at the same time. So they both thought of the lightning as a power source at the same time. So I believe, you know, I think they, they'd be limping along, but um, but they haven't gotten her to open up. Yeah, because they need Rodney. They need Rodney. They need, they, I think they need, sometimes you need somebody who's just like a, to me, I always in my head, Kenneth Rodney is, aside from being brilliant at many things, he's he's like a savant with ancient technology. He's better at it than Carter is. And um, one of the possible, yeah, there is a possible outcome of Rodney not being there to stop Kavanaugh from being dumbass is that Kavanaugh gets himself killed. I'm not mad at that. And he might take others with him. Like we're that someone? Like someone you don't like. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm down for I'm down for we're accidentally dying. I mean, it's much more satisfying of course, to have, to me, it's more satisfying with a character like Weir to deal with her in an effective way. But it's not unsatisfying to just kill her off. I mean, it would be, you know, if he takes Weir and... Can you imagine, John? He's like, he's out there in charge. He doesn't really want to be in charge. But now, fuck it, he's in charge. And the SGC finally shows up. Wouldn't it be hilarious if they left him in charge? Well, you've been doing a good... No, sir. No, sir. I would very much like you to put some... Listen, Colonel. Major. Colonel. <laughs> Major. <laughs> He's clinging to his rank. <laughs> well, there's some... I think there's some potential there. That you, there's, there'd be even potential to save Sumner. Um, there could be, yeah. Because without Rodney there, it could be more important even that John stay on the city because of how the city responds and his ability. You know, it could be the scientists are just like, no, you cannot leave with him to find somebody else, to find an alternate. You know, you can't go exploring alpha sites with the strongest gene carrier. We need him here to try to help us interpret this technology. Um, and if John doesn't go pick up the necklace, the Wraith don't call the Athosians. Athos. Um, and the and Sumner doesn't get captured. So they might have a later encounter with the Wraith, but it's but there's the potential to save. Um now I do think if Sumner was um still alive, he would definitely have command of the mission. He would not let Elizabeth remain in charge. Although he would he might let her stay in charge for a while. Uh, but I think the minute he confirmed the wraith, what the, what the wraith were and the threat they were, which I think might happen later, um, he would he would want to be in charge. In ties that bind, Sumner survived because Weir did not fight John on the rescue mission. When John came back from Athos and told Elizabeth that Sumner had been taken, she immediately authorized a rescue mission. There was no discussion. Yeah, her hesitation was... Oh. And John went through that gate with a couple of jumpers and blew their shit up. I don't understand what that 
Lady Holder, what's that comment in reference to the city was full of fail saves? It's the work she's talking about. Um, it's a fan fiction work based on the idea that the rising was a fail safe, and so it wasn't the only fail safe. That there were plenty. There, there were other fail safes. I think that one's like a time travel one, isn't it? That the city keeps getting um, destroyed, and it's like a Groundhog Day. Okay. Um. Anyway. Um. So yeah, I think if I think a year of trying to survive out there with Sumner and John working together would change the relationship between them. Um, well, if they let Rodney be the CSO, he's a Canadian. Um, well, you okay? You're saying that you don't think Zelinka has a history with the program? That he's at the ancient outpost and then he's put on a mission to. Another galaxy with the expedition, and he didn't have a history with the program. I think every scientist on the expedition had a serious history with the program because they were trusting them. That's all that that's a huge amount of trust that they're putting into every single member of the Atlantis expedition. In fact, I think the probably the most inexperienced member of the entire expedition would have been Aiden Ford. Well, and Elizabeth Weir. I think the rest of them were long-term members of the SGC in one area or the other. But honestly, if I was writing it, I'd probably put Peter Groydon in as the CM the CSO. Yeah. I mean, conceivably they if they have X number of, of slots for scientists, they're gonna take another scientist out. So you could write an OC as a CSO, you could have Zelenka be the CSO, it could be Groden, it could be um, it could be it could be a variety of people, however you imagine. And considering it. the the IOA is the is is the organization that put the expedition together, which is why Elizabeth Weir is in charge of it. I don't think they really had the SGC particularly really didn't have any control over who was going to be the CSO. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been McKay because O'Neill at that point couldn't stand him. Right. But no, I, I don't think that Daniel or Sam would have gone on the original Atlantis expedition if Rodney didn't go. I don't think it would have any impact on the SG-1 people at all. Because I don't think John, I don't think Jack wanted them on the expedition, and that was that. So I don't think Daniel or Sam would have wound up out there. Now that you, you could, I, I certainly we've talked in other podcasts about the potential for like Sam going instead of Rodney, but I, I think it's more realistic that it wouldn't be either one of them. I don't think Jack wanted his his people going to his former team. I don't think he wanted them going to Atlantis. Yeah, getting rid of McKay and saying yes, he can be in charge of all the scientists um, and all the science done on Atlantis are two entirely separate things. Yeah. So I think that if O'Neill had had any input on who was going to be the CSO, it would not have been McKay. I don't think it, it. There's also there's a discussion in the chat room about Zelenka not being Zelenka wouldn't wouldn't have been able to be CSO because he's from Eastern Europe and the SGC was North American focused and its staffing. But the IOA had a lot of oversight in who got to go on to Atlantis. Um, probably too Far much more, oversight. Yeah, so I don't I don't I don't think I think the IOA um, would have necessarily had a problem if they had a problem. Because he had a lot of access anyway. He was, wasn't he Rodney's second name command? 
So if they had he a problem, second in command. Um, he he's from the Czech Republic, and he is the second in command under Dr. Rodney McKay. So I don't think that the IOA, considering it's an international body, would have thrown up much fuss about Zelenka also, having some level of responsibility. Also, this is the same body that eventually gives Russia their own ship. Yeah. So I think that you, I think that whatever the, the whatever the the trend was with the SGC itself, uh, obviously they went as the, the IOA had a lot more influence over what happened with Atlantis. So you could easily make the case that this, the chief science officer would be Zelenka. Now, I wouldn't personally make that choice. Um, but I think that arguing that it would be a problem because of politics with Russia and, and in the Eastern European thing would be contrary to canon because it's obvious that they didn't have a problem with Zelenka if he was second in command um, of the sciences. And they also give the Russians a fucking ship. So um, in the canon. So that part... I wouldn't play into it, but I still would put Peter Groden in charge because he has a, um, frankly, he has a better personality and he probably might have should have been in charge to begin with, um, just for his management skills, because I don't see McKay as a very good manager. No, I agree. I agree. Um, I also don't, I don't think, so there's something that somebody says that you can't replace Rodney with Daniel because their fields of expertise are entirely different. When it comes to the matter of who the chief science officer is, I don't think field of expertise matters. Um, it matters that they're in the sciences, but I don't know that it matters if it's, if it's an archeologist or a physicist. Um, that's like saying it has to be, it can't be an engineer or me. So I don't think Rodney can be replaced by Daniel, but the chief science officer, it could be Daniel. I just wouldn't, I just don't think Jack, be down for that. I think Jack would throw so many obstacles in, uh, whereas I don't think he cared that much fundamentally if they sent McKay to another galaxy. But with them sending Daniel out there and they don't know how they're going to get him back, I don't think Jack would have stood for that. The only way Daniel Jackson goes on the well, there's two ways that Jackson goes on the first expedition. One, Jack O'Neill is in charge of the first expedition. Two, Jack O'Neill is still in that ancient pod. <laughs> And the Asgard haven't come to get him out yet. <laughs> and Daniel sneaks off while he's still incapacitated. That's how that happens. So here's why I wouldn't give Radic the um, CSO position. This is why I wouldn't do it from the position of this plot. It's because I would not want to... I actually really appreciate the friendship between Raddick and Rodney. I would really want to develop that in the story. I would want to see them working well together. Um, I would want them to have an appreciation for one another. And I would not want that, that, that foundation for that relationship to be forged, that friendship to be forged on the heels of Raddick's failure and Rodney's success where Raddick failed. So from an interpersonal relationship dynamics, Having Radic be the CSO doesn't work for me, but I think it's a viable choice to make across but the that's, board. But that's I why agree. I, that's why I wouldn't do it. If Roddy's coming out to replace, it's because he well he he's taking somebody else's place either because um, they failed or because they're dead, or both. They failed and then they died, or both. Um, and I wouldn't put Peter Cavanaugh in charge because that's unrealistic. They'd all be dead. <laughs> now, I think I think Radix gonna be struggling enough with 
the things he didn't know and feeling like he was unprepared for what they found and probably feeling like, I think that he would just be struggling enough emotionally with the year he's been through and already feeling like maybe, you know, I think that if the city is still intact, it's because of Raddick. And I think Rodney would make that point to him, but Raddick's me struggling enough that I wouldn't want to heap that onto him more if I want to set up a friendship between the two. Yeah. You want McKay to come into the city and Raddick be like, Oh, Thank you. Fuck everything. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, just like be hugging Rodney. Like, what? 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 I brought you coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and Ellie, I agree. You, you could have Radic. Uh, Rodney could actually find out how much Radic has done and how little appreciation he's gotten for keeping them going, and just rip into a few people about it. Um. So I, I think I don't want to position, I, that's why I would just be careful about who I chose. It, it, in some ways, it's a little easier to staff um, that position um, with, a, with an OC than it is to put a canon. Because it does not, even though Ka Kavanaugh be a great person to have there from a, you know, from a visceral having fun with him failing kind of perspective. I think if Kavanaugh were actually in charge of the sciences, that they would have abandoned the city and they'd have all died. So I don't really think that, you know, where it's, it'd be fun, but not realistic. So I probably would put it, do an OC just because um, it would give me the opportunity to craft a character that fit the needs of the story rather than doing something unrealistic with a canon character. Um, but I don't want to get too bogged down in the mission roster because that's not really like plotting. Um, you could, you could pull a SG one scientist. Um, um, Billy would be one. Um, I'm not on board though with it being Felger or Coombs because they're a match pair, and also I wouldn't want them to die. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, uh, but just because you took them out there wouldn't mean they have to die, that'd be totally your choice. Um, <laughs> no, no, not really, <laughs> but yeah, so I from, mean. From, from but from a from a plot they're, perspective, they're rather, morons. <laughs> yeah, but from a, from a plot perspective rather than a roster perspective, because um, I think in this kind of case, you staff, you make the roster for who's out there to to suit what what you want to do with the story. Um, Include you know wh whoever's in Rodney's plays or the ten people they took instead of Rodney, you you you, you staff the mission to suit your needs. Um, but so more interestingly, from a plotting side of it, who goes to who goes to try to recruit Roddy? So they find out that this is going on. They're barely keeping. Does Sam like admit that the person with the best facility for ancient technology is Rodney McKay? Um, has there been some kind of fallout from the fact that they lost Rodney to the program? And maybe Jack and Sam didn't even appreciate how much Rodney did when it came to ancient tech um, at Area 51. Um, how much ancient tech did they have access to at Area 51 when Rodney was there before Siberia? Because Rodney at the time was studying the Stargate. Um, and he well, which is also which is ancient tech, yes. Um, and he was um he was sent to Siberia to help the Russians build Naquita generators. Right. Which is sort of it, it's a very pedantic task for him. 
So yeah, it's it's not good. So they haven't discovered the ancient outpost. I don't know how much ancient technology Rodney would have been exposed to if he left the program because of Siberia beyond the gate. But didn't they, the, they'd been, the thing is Area 51 had all the stuff that they'd been picking up off world and bringing back, right? That's where the quantum mirror was being right. stored. And so they didn't have any other techno ancient technology that they'd the been biggest, picking up. The biggest cash they get of ancient tech comes from the outpost. That's their mother load um, before they hit the city. And up until that point, they'd found little small things, um, including the head grabbers. Now, I think this is the second time, you know, this is the second time Jack was head grabbed when they find the ancient outpost. Um, but up until that point, they really hadn't had a whole lot of actual ancient tech on earth, except for the Stargate. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out. So he did save Jack's life. That's an that's an interesting thing. I think that was, I think that was after Russia, when the when the gate is going, um, and Jack takes the gate up in a ship in a X three hundred two to get rid of it because it's going to explode. McKay's with him, right, Lady Holder. So how do I get my fanon and my cannon mixed up? Okay, you saying no. That's my fanon. Okay, so what's the cannon there? He helped figure out that the gate had to be taken off the planet. You know, Neil used the ship. They find the ancient girl on the city on the in the ancient outpost. Yeah, in Antarctica. Yeah. So Redemption Part 2 is where McKay figures out that the gate that's about to go boom can be taken into hyperspace where it will explode and not hurt anything. And O'Neill takes it up on an X-302. He wasn't alone in the X-302, but I guess it, it was um, Tilk in canon. Um, and I don't remember why I changed that. It was, it was an important change. And I think maybe it was because of his friendship with Carter. And Carter was Jack's wife in, in, in what might have been. And I think that's why I made that change. That it was McKay acting on their friendship. But um, it's been a long time since I've plotted what might have been. <clears throat> like 2008. When I did most of the plotting for that. Okay, she's saying in the in canon he's alone in the ship. But I think it's reasonable. There could be some things like a random, some random stuff that, that they've picked up off world that just is all wound up at um, Area Fifty One for study. Rodney could have been um, cleared to look at a lot of this stuff because he didn't have the genes that wasn't going to turn on and do you know, go kablooey on him. Uh, they could have even found a DHD. They could have even brought a DHD back. Um, I think you could pl I could play with like what they've got available to them, um, and certainly they already knew he was an expert on the Stargate. I just don't think Rodney could be much of an expert on the gate. I mean, he clearly knows the dialing program. He knows the gate itself, but if he's never looked at a DHD, so did they ever take him offline at some point? Um, when they bring him in because of the Tilk situation, he is 
touted as the leading expert on the actual Stargate. Right. Even Carter says he knows more about it than she does, which means I think he has to have at some point been exposed to a DHD. They probably brought him one back. Yeah, that's why I think it's logical he's got something because the D, the DHD and the Stargate to me really you can't be much of an expert on the gate. You don't have don't, a DHD. DHD. Otherwise, you're just you're an expert on a ring that he moves might around. have gotten to study the remains of the one that the SGC destroyed, getting tilt back. So I think that whatever they've got has probably landed at Area 51 and Rodney has studied it. Um, and so the, the degree to which that is, because clearly they brought him in when they had problems at the gate and there was nobody else on tap to do to, to bring in. So when they've got problems with ancient, ancient technology, they clearly bring in McKay. studying ancient technology has not been, has been, has not been um, Sam's because the pre whoever took over, whoever filled in for Rodney would have been the person down at the outpost studying it, right? So, but it, it was never Sam's primary area was to spend all her time focusing on studying ancient technology because she was an officer in the Air Force and she had responsibilities to SG-1 and blah, 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 blah. So, so of the people available, you know, I think that it would be reasonable and you could, I like, I like the headcanon that Rodney and Raddick know each other from Area 51. That, I don't know that that's actually true. I certainly can't oh, find yep. anything. That's right. They, they, they also have the DHD from Antarctica. Although it's kind of broken too. So he had two broken DHDs. So, but he would understand the whole ancient crystals thing. He would understand how these things are powered. He would understand, he, he would have a lot of knowledge that would give him a foundation for understanding ancient technology. And Raddick could even tell them, we, he could send the message back to them, we need McKay. He has an affinity for, for figuring out ancient technology that is, that is what we need to get the city working. Night before, when, during our last podcast, we talked about the original casting of Atlantis um, and how they had created a character named Dr. Ingram um, to play the role of the chief scientist. And then David Hewlett um, auditioned for that. And they said, well, if you want to be part of you know, you know, Atlantis, you can be McKay. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're not going to reinvent that wheel. <laughs> but we'll take McKay to Atlantis. You could use the character, the character of Dr. Ingram to be the CSO. Um, it'd be a cute it, Easter egg. It'd be, it'd be a really cute Easter egg. And that can still kill Elizabeth if, if, if you don't. <laughs> of course, here's, here's a, also something. Who created the algorithm that allowed them to send the letters from Pegasus? Because if they're already having power problems to the point where they can only live in the tower, those letters to Pegasus don't happen. Right, but or they were planning. Pegasus. They were yeah. planning to go out there anyway, right? They right. just don't know about. But for start, I would have it be that the changes in things means there's less urgent threat from the wraith, so they wouldn't have had that. You have to, otherwise, they'd be destroyed. Right. Utterly. So there's less. So you'd have wouldn't have the wraith on the way because they would have encountered the wraith in the same way. So you would just have a whole lot of things. There'd be some things better and some things worse. So. Maybe the wraith eventually do wake up, or maybe they don't. Um, they maybe they encounter them off world, and they understand about them, and they're leery about them making it to Atlantis. But so far, that hasn't actually been a problem. Um, and if Taylor's necklace is not on Atlantis, the the wraith aren't on their way. 
if it's never been on Atlantis, it's never been activated. Right. So look how baby David David Hewitt looks in this picture. I know he looks, he looks like a he looks like a child. Looks like a child. So I think you, you know, could have he's some. Not our, he's not our Gordon up Rodney anymore. So some things would seem like they're better. Some things would seem like they're worse. But uh, maybe they encounter the Wraith eventually. And it's why Marshall Sumner takes ultimately takes commands. When they do encounter the Wraith, he's like, whoa. We have to be very careful how we proceed out here. Because we do not want to encounter more of these life-sucking aliens. And we don't want them getting back to Atlantis. So, um, And they most def definitely cannot find out about the Milky Way and Earth. Right. Being a fucking buffet for them. So it's a matter, then it's a matter of, um, it's the, whenever the Daedalus eventually shows up, uh, you know, to the Daedalus shows up and they're there. They're not in great, you know, they're functional. There are some people alive who weren't alive the first go around. Um, Sumner's in command. They're carefully avoiding the wraith. They don't have a lot of power. And the first thing they ask for, what's the first thing you need? We need you to get Dr. McKay here. We would like very much if he was still a Canadian. <laughs> Please. And coffee. We would like coffee. like a Canadian and some coffee. <laughs> we'll take them in either order as long as they're not too far apart. <laughs> O'Neillson's Fruit Loops. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then of course it becomes a matter of how do you get Rodney? Uh, Who do you send? I think um, if he leaves before Siberia. Um, they have some shit to do. But if you do it after the redemption episode, where after they've, um, he kind of redeemed himself to the SGC, maybe at that point he gets a better offer. Um, or he gets, you give him a personal reason for staying on earth or, or, or leaving the SGC. But, but if you do it at Siberia, there is a ripple effect. Well, even if he's gone over Siberia, couldn't they still go to him over when the redemption arc? And he's still he's still the foremost extra on the Stargate. He said, "Look, look, we know you can't stand us, and we know you double murdered us and walked away. We get it. We fucked up, but there's there a lot is, of danger. We need you." There's an asshole attacking Stargate, and we can't close it, and we think we're all gonna die. <laughs> and, and Rodney would meet all of us. <laughs> and Rodney would turn up for that, and then he would be like, you know, don't call me, you know. And that would probably be the way he would think of it, unless it's a life-threatening emergency. I don't want to hear from you people. So he could go and and help them out there, and then just walk away again, go back to whatever it was he was doing, and then somebody comes and talks about the city of the ancients. He's like, well, this isn't a life-threatening emergency, but hmm. It is certainly interesting. I think it would be tempting for someone, for maybe even the government, to play on his personal interest in Carter and send her out. But that's degrading and insulting to Carter. It's degrading and insulting to Carter. Doesn't mean that's not the way it would happen, though. Right. Um, but then you also have to ask yourself, at this point, O'Neill's in charge of the SGC. Does he allow that? You're not gonna. You're not gonna whore out my um, person. <laughs> well, but when, by the time they made contact, Landry was land. Well, that was it. They were in that middle of that transition of power. So I don't know. It's it's a. It's I a hate Landry, thing. so I wouldn't write Landry. I would probably write Jack O'Neill still in charge. I wish that they actually kept him in charge the whole time, and just you know ended the series with him in charge of of the mountain. Yeah, they 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 
they went off the rails in season nine. They just no. Um, I think he has to send Daniel Jackson. I think that Daniel Jackson has to be the one to go. Um, Daniel Jackson is the romantic. He, uh, if they've given him all this information on Atlantis, he's got pictures, he's got video. He, he he's already in love, right? He's in love with the city of angels, and he's not even been there. And he sends them. He's they send Daniel. Probably with a letter, maybe with a letter from Raddick. Pop definitely with a letter from Raddick. Like, look, you know, we had this expedition in another galaxy, and they need they need what you got. Or they're not going to make it. We'll have to abandon the city, and there's not even enough power to put it back on the ocean like, floor. We know you. We fucked you over. <laughs> it is my head cannon that that McKay and um, Daniel banged. Yeah, it it, it totally is. <laughs> and he can say, you know, you know, this is this is this is from Radic, and you know, um, all the people you work with are Area Fifty One. A lot of them are on the city, and. Um, these are the people that have died so far, and um, we don't want to lose her. We don't want to lose the ancient, you know, Atlantis, and we might if someone who can't put her back together again. So I would send Daniel. There, you know, there's an argument to send O'Neill, and um, I've done that as well um, with my big gay love in Canada um, story. Um, that I have not finished, but it's available on EID to read if you would like. Um, but Carter would be interesting. But if I were McKay and they sent me out, they sent me a hot blonde in uniform to ask me to risk my life in another galaxy, I'd have been, I'd be like, you know, the tits are great. But they're not that great. And fuck you for thinking that I would agree that I would agree to go on this mission based on a hot woman asking me. <laughs> it would be a huge blow to her ego because it would definitely be them using her her looks and McKay's um obvious overt sexual interest in her to uh to persuade him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, you know, and honestly, but I, when it comes to Sam, if we do, if you do the thing where Rodney comes back to help with the the whole redemption thing, he could have made his his lack of interest perfectly clear at that point. And so, if somebody even suggests it, like we need to send Doctor McKay, Doctor Carter out, or Major Carter out to, was she a colonel by then? She was still a major, right? She'd have been a colonel by the time the Atlantis expedition came. Was came she colonel by then? Year. Yeah. Okay. So they said, so we need to send Colonel Carter out. And she could go, no, 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 no. He may have had the hots for me at one point, but he doesn't anymore. <laughs> um, Rodney takes it really personally when you try to send him to snowy places. And, and even if he did have the hots for me, whoring me out wouldn't get you the, I mean, I, I could get laid, but <laughs> I don't think it would get you what you wanted. <laughs> He could say, you know, we're not we're not actually gonna have, have sex, right? <laughs> oh, actually, it would actually be really funny if Daniel was like, you know, Sam, you could try. She says, I've already been there and done that. We've burned that out. <laughs> <laughs> I've already rode that train. 
actually, that could be, it could be a funny thing. It's an endless, there's an endless um, supply of people who are willing to try to entice. It's not Sam, but a bunch of people are willing to going, I'm willing to try to entice him back with sex. I mean, if, if you're talking about whoring somebody out, I'm game. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> why the hell? Do all these people want to go to Canada to try to seduce McKay back to the program? Apparently, Jack McKay is a really good lay. <laughs> a really good lay. Is there something you want to tell me, Daniel? He's a really good lay. <laughs> Jack would be like, Daniel. He's like, what? What? <laughs> That's cracky, but it's hilarious. <laughs> There's actually a story where um, John overhears two women talking about seducing McKay on the city because McKay has a reputation for being really good in bed. And John is like infuriated that these two women are plotting to seduce McKay. So <laughs> he invests himself in cock blocking this situation. And I wish I'd remember the story because I would love to read it again because it was hilarious. Willow, are you around? Um, and eventually he does get McKay in bed and McKay does does rock his world. <laughs> of course he does. Because Actually, the side effect of listening to this conversation is that all John can think about is McKay in bed. <laughs> yes. I actually love the trope that um, McKay is a great lay and he slept with a lot of people. Um, and particularly if it's like he's just not into, he's not so into relationships because he's particularly, I love that trope because the flip side, I think it's because it's like the counter trope to McKay is massively insecure. Um, and there's just almost, when I read the story where McKay is really insecure, it gets, it can get very frustrated for me very quickly. Yeah, I agree. But I have to make him um, someone who's actually really good in bed, but terrible at relationships. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't actually, it, it, that's just, it's, it's a personal preference of mine. Is I don't like to read characters that are massively body insecure at all. So it um, doesn't matter male, female, who they are. It's just, it's just not my cup of tea. Confidence is sexy. It really is. I like Confidence people, who, I like people who are good at it and, and know they're good at it and, Oh yeah. Even if they're even if they're virgins, it's like I, I may have never done it, but I know I'm on a rocket. I've researched. <laughs> I have done I did some all, research. I have watched all the porn. I'm all in this. I have gotten all the toys. There's a um there's uh, um the farm in Iowa. Um John is uh the only man that McKay has ever slept with in that story. And um in that series. And when they finally have the conversation about it. Um, hey, Royal Royale is saying it's the conversation by Lady Raw is the one where John overhears those women talk about seducing McKay. I should have known it was Lady Raw. <clears throat> Sometimes um, you hear who the author of a story is, and you're like, and you're like yeah, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> of course it's Lady Raw. It's a great story. Um, oh, what was I saying? Oh, in in the farm in Iowa. So. They get to talking about it, and Rodney confesses, essentially, that John was the first man he'd ever slept with. And at the end of this angsty conversation, John was like, but that was some great gang right out of the gate. <laughs> that was great. 
Because John had no clue that, that McKay had never slept with a man until him. Because he's a fucking genius, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Anyway, it's just, it was really funny. I'm looking for a link to that story because, you know, that's how I work. But the conversation, I, they put a link in the chat room. Oh, get back to the chat. Is it there? <laughs> it is there. It's actually very good. It's a very good story. But, you know, you can't go wrong with Lady Raw. Truly. So you didn't say, would you send Jackson or Carter? Oh, I would send Jackson. I would never send. I mean, if I were to do Carter, it would just, just to have him, you know, raise one eyebrow and refuse to talk to her. But I just wouldn't particularly... Other than if I said no. Carter, he would he would be an asshole. He would right. look. I'm not really interested in talking to you, but if you want to sit on my dick, that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I just don't. I just don't you think we go where. where she's like, like she hesitates. Like, I guess I'll have to go because <laughs> she's on duty. <laughs> she's like, maybe I've I've been explicitly ordered by Jack not to have sex with you. So. <laughs> Even though the IOA would really like it if I would. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I just I just don't, I, I think, I agree with you. I think Daniel would be the one who'd be able to actually persuade him. Um, and Rodney could even look at it and go, wow, if they're sending you, they're, they're sending the big guns. Because they're not using science. <laughs> I could just see him actually saying that. So they sent somebody to persuade me with not science. <laughs> this should be interesting. Go ahead, let me have it. Come on in, Dr. Crackpot. <laughs> I, I figure you're about to get all emo on me, so let me have it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I would, I would, I would go with the, I'd go the Daniel route. And uh, I think it wouldn't be too hard to persuade. He just, this is Atlantis. She's dying. They don't have enough power to even put her back on the bottom of the ocean. And, and Rodney would be like, huh. Like, how long do I have to pack? <laughs> when are we leaving? Atlantis. You assholes found Atlantis. And you waited until now to tell me? Long you know? Like, it's been over a year, huh? You assholes found Atlantis. A fucking year ago. I and mean, I'm just I'd, now hearing about it. He could go right back into the SEC and go, you know, you assholes apologized to me over that shit with, you know, with Siberia and, you know, being unprofessional and how you handled duty assignments and all that kind of crap, you apologize. But clearly you didn't mean it. Otherwise, you would have told me about Atlantis. So I don't believe anything you're going to say to me anymore. Just beam me up and shut the fuck up. <laughs> this is my cat. Is, I don't yeah. want to hear jack shit. I'm taking my cat it. and I better get extra, extra allotment for coffee. No, just take one of those 302s right off. We're putting all that space for coffee. And my cat. Because <laughs> if I have to go fix an entire ancient city, I deserve all the extra coffee. No, there's no way Rodney would take a piano when he could take extra coffee. Right, yeah. I mean, he can make them bring him a, him a piano later. <laughs> when we've got an entire year's supply of coffee at Backstock, then I'll take a piano. Is there a coffee plantation on this planet? No, that I need more coffee. Clearly. <laughs> so 
So that's the angle I would want to explore, I think, would be that uh, Rodney's not with the SGC, that he doesn't even know about Atlantis, and that the colony has really, it, it's done okay, they've survived, but they haven't, but, you know, they're one step one step from needing to abandon the city. And, and that'd be a bitter pill, right? Because she's in a vulnerable position. She's on the water. They don't have enough power to sink her. So they can't sink her. They can't shield her. They can't hide her. Right. So they, so all the only protection she has is them being there and keeping the shield engaged on the Stargate. So having to abandon the city would, would feel like ensuring her destruction. So it'd be bitter. Like they'd be like, we need to hail Mary here to try to save the city. Even if it means Jack O'Neill has to apologize to a really bitter Canadian scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Jack is a bitter Canadian. You need to apologize to (laughs) just saying, so that's, I think that's the direction I would want to go. And then uh, most of the story would be the, you know, the, the climax of the story would be him arriving on Atlantis. I think that's the structure I would put to it would be this, the climax would be him arriving on Atlantis. I don't think I would go all the way through to the realization of his relationship with John, but I think they would have that instant kind of compatibility that, you know, right away um, set things up where he's working well with, with, with Raddick and just kind of, you know, the falling action be him settling into the city and things getting put to rights with Rodney there. The, the Rodney fixes all the things story. (laughs) I, I'm thinking, I agree that Daniel's the, the best choice, you know, just, um, to hit in the emotional area. Um, because he's actually a very inspiring individual. He's got a lot of passion, and that can be um, very seductive intellectually. Um, and so I could see how he could, you know, he could probably, you know, given it greatly depends on how you go with it, whether or not Vala is there or not. Um, if they try to take the Prometheus out. And she stole it, then yes. But if say the Prometheus didn't get hijacked and they made it all the way to Pegasus with her. And Daniel was on board that. He was going um to Pegasus on the Prometheus. Uh so say they get all the way out there, and that's when the second wave starts. And then that way you can have McKay come out on the Daedalus. The, the Prometheus gets there first. Um, six, eight months later, the Daedalus arrives. And the Prometheus has been there that long providing support and protection. So they just stay there as supplemental support or waiting for the, the, the Daedalus to come back with McKay? If you want Daniel on Earth, then the Daedalus is probably having to do runs back and forth with supplies. Well, I don't want Daniel on Earth. I have I have no particular investment in this. So, well, if you want if you want Daniel Jackson to do the begging for McKay, which I think is on you know honestly the best option, and if he's been on Atlantis, then he has a very you know um, emotional connection to the survival of the city. Mm-hmm. He's been ascended a couple of times, you know, so he probably has an affinity for the city. Um, he comes back knowing what they need. Yeah, that could be really powerful. 
and he's talked to Raddick and, you know, it could even be depending upon how much tension you want to be, have between Jack and Sam and Rodney, it could be that Raddick is the one who tells him, no, the only person who can do this is Dr. McKay. If, if we want this city to be more than just a floating lifeboat, Dr. McKay needs to be here. And Raddick could be the one who really persuades Daniel of that. Daniel could be the one who persuades the SGC slash the IOA, he could give Jack a come to Jesus meeting about his attitude about Rodney. And they're probably at they're um they're probably about to reach a point of no return where they stretch themselves out with the Daedalus going back and forth to Pegasus. Um, so the situation on Atlantis is not getting better. Uh, they don't have enough NACA generators to run it. They don't have any damn ZPMs. Things are still falling apart. They're not, I mean, even they've tossed every scientist they've got at it at one time or another over these six to eight months. I think it takes three weeks for the Daedalus to do the trip to Pegasus. So they could have three or four runs in between um, the Prometheus arriving and Daniel coming back that final time to get McKay. And where they all have to eat some humble pie. Not mad at humble pie. And that way, you know, um, I think they all kind of need some humility, McKay among them. Um, and there's a very sobering situation here with the with the lost city of the ancients is that, that Atlantis um, isn't going to make it. And they need to decide what the survival of the city means to to the program, to, to humanity in general, to the people of Pegasus, and set aside that ego that sent McKay or tried to send McKay to Siberia um, because Which he was, was being politically manipulated. Right, and because the Siberia thing always... Did, did, could, is there any way to read that but spiteful? No. It's utterly spiteful. And honestly, deeply below his pay grade. Mm -hmm. Building generators? Really? Please. TK says, would the IOA even try to save it or just gut it for tech? Tech that doesn't work? Oh, I think they would absolutely try to save it. It is, it is the single biggest tactical weapon ever known in history. They're not just going to abandon it. I think they would do everything in their but power to, to try to get it, it functional. But I think to the point where they're at the point of no return, they probably would try to gut it for technology and, and, and destroy it. Because they don't want anybody else to have it. Well, true. But I mean, I think that, they, I think that they're not at that point, right? If they're, if they're at the point where it's like, we've got to abandon it. But if somebody says, look, our Hail Mary is to get somebody in here who we think we can fix the city. Would they really say no to that before they would try to steal, break it up? I mean, no. Would, no, they would, they would go all in on romancing McKay. And if it wasn't romance, they would be like, okay, um, he said no. It'd be blackmail is what it'd be. It's like, we're going to find blackmail, something. Blackmail, i.e. kidnapping. So McKay, um, we'd like you to go to Pegasus and save Atlantis if you don't try. So I hear your sister's married and she's got a kid. Yeah. Now, we obviously would not want to get to that that point because that's but that's where I think it could potentially go if McKay said no, in reality. And that's why it could be that, you know, Raddick could tell, um, could tell, could tell Daniel, 
you gotta you gotta get him here, and strong arming him is not gonna work. All you need to do to 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 entice Rodney is you gotta do it with science, Daniel. You gotta do it with the technology that will get him here. Money won't do it. Threats won't do it. Fuck buddies really are not going to do it. He'll 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 accept the fuck buddy, but he's not actually going to come to Atlantis. So, you know, the, the all the inducement he needs is science. So you need to be you need to give him that. Don't go, don't leave anything else. Threatening a re- a really really smart person is a bad idea. Especially but so- I think there are some people who would go there. I wouldn't want to write that, but you know, I can see it happening. Yeah. They, they've done it before to McKay in canon. Mm-hmm. Just what would you want to write? I would prefer to write, you know, McKay getting through the city, meeting Sumner. Oh, you know, I'm sorry not to have gotten to meet Dr. Weir. Oh, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> Show we're, me we're, the science. We're happier without her. Can I have the hot Air Force guy? Yes, you can, Dr. McKay. <laughs> you look at John. anything else you would like? You look at John Here's your go, coffee. Here's your pilot. <laughs> I just, I hear, I hear Rodney in my head going, oh, hello, light switch. Uh, <laughs> John's like, I am not your light switch. Oh, I think you are. <laughs> Really? Because my lights are on, and I hear you're the gene carrier for me, so let's go. (laughs) I do think, though, that one of the things they would entice him with is the ancient gene. You know, we we do have we we do have the you know we do have the ability to give you the ancient gene now, Doctor McKay. Really, you can do that now, huh? How has that been available? About a year, like the fucking city of the ancients. <laughs> he could be. He could have lots of resentment. He could just occasionally just like glare at somebody and go, "A year, a year." Every time he fixes something, and it could be, it could be the, it could become the mantra of the science department on the city is every time he fixes something, they just go, "A year, a year." <laughs> Jack O'Neill's grudge, a year. And it could have all the scientists. There's like this whisper campaign where all the scientists get really irritated at Jack, and whenever he, whenever he tries to figure out what's going on, they just go a, a year. year. <laughs> you know how you know how Ao3 has that tag. The author is bitter. Yeah, very bitter. It seems like the scientist is bitter. Yes, the scientists are bitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the you new call this big, all the salt in the Milky Way. <laughs> they get yeah, <laughs> that'd be hysterical, but it's Pegasus. No, but you know he came from the Milky Way, so he brought That's his salt true. with him. Brought his salt with him. But I, I love the idea of the him like somebody somebody sending back like for one of the supply runs comes with a bunch of like um you know, like. Um, the scientists order some swag, like t-shirts and stuff, like black with yellow writing that say a year or something like that on it. <laughs> Sweat a year-long grudge costs you. A year. A year. We're not happy with you, General O'Neill. We just want you to know. <laughs> it was a whole fucking year. <laughs>
I do think he would take it deeply personally. Like deeply, it would be like a really deep personal insult. What the fuck? What's Carter? Yeah, he could have a whole rant. He could be like, and he tells any scientist who's sister, I could, you know, you know something? I could have been out here a year ago. A year ago, folks, I could have been here with you from the beginning. But no. But no. no. Daniel calls Carter from Canada. I think maybe you should probably not be in the mountain with McKay gets there. Take Jack with you, please. <laughs> or could you just, I don't know, go visit Tilk on another planet. Just anything but there. Until we get McKay off Earth. <laughs> I don't think it's safe for you. <laughs> He's really upset. <laughs> Go visit Thor. <laughs> That's in another galaxy. That's a good idea. Just not Pegasus. The Land of Lights having a bowl festival. I highly recommend that you attend. <laughs> Until Rodney is firmly, firmly. Hashtag a year. Yeah. <laughs> like every single report coming back from Atlantis. First, it's just the scientists. And, and, and then it becomes like the the um, enlisted men. And then finally, even Sumner and Shepard are like, hashtag a year. <laughs> At the end of all the reports. <laughs> It's like fuck this. We could have not been dealing with it. We could have had this, and that, and, and that, and the year tag doesn't work anywhere but on Atlantis. So eventually, Jack gets to Atlantis, and he find, and he sees that the hashtag is actually lit up now, like a link, and he clicks on it, and it's like a a video of McKay ranting <laughs> about O'Neill. <laughs> I could have been here a year ago. Oh, what if they haven't had hot water the whole time because of power, right? So what if they've all been taking cold showers for a year? And like one of the one of the early things that they get are hot showers again. And Rodney gets power to the whole city fairly quickly. And then there's like <sighs> And the showers are like really awesome. Yeah. Like they have and all these different settings and like sauna settings, and they're like we live for a whole year like savages. <laughs> <laughs> and they could just, and, and they could very politely tell Jack, sir, General, sir, I, I took cold showers for a year. It wasn't necessary. <laughs> All the things they had to do for a year. All we have is peanut butter sandwiches, sir. For a year. <laughs> for a year. We had cold showers and peanut butter sandwiches and MREs for a year. For a year. Turns out it wasn't necessary. <laughs> you had a grudge and you made it your grudge created a, a bitter Canadian and and we all suffered. <laughs> we're all bitter. And we're all a little salty. It's a wealth of flavor in Atlantis, General. You probably don't want to be here. <sighs> a year. A year. He gets a call from Bob. So it was a year. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Stark and Rodney are friends and Tony Stark's taking it personally <laughs> that Rodney was deprived for a year <laughs> we can't help but go crack <laughs> we can't help it I blame Az I don't even think she's in the chat room right now but I blame no, she, her anyway I blame her too she's a terrible influence on us absolutely mm -hmm. terrible or great, depending upon your perspective. I'm I'm not sure which way. 
which way you would go with that? Well, they can, you can salt meat to keep it as a preservative. I mean, haven't you guys ever seen those hanging hams like in the grocery store that have been salted for preservation? Yeah, curing meats. Well, no, but I'm saying you can do it. <laughs> there are some cured meats that are, we, we love some cured meats. I mean. Yeah, but if you're going to go starving, you're going to be curing the fuck out of everything you can just to keep your food, for, you know, just to keep the food from killing you. No, oh, let's not use those two words, Shadow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can salt fish, you can salt ham. Assuming, now, well, they could make salt. They've, if they're sitting on salt water, they could make salt. And they probably, because they probably didn't take enough salt to handle, like, if let's say they hunt on the mainland, they probably didn't actually take enough salt with them for to cure the amount of food they would need to for preservation. They probably all are going to need, like, you know, water pills to get the, all the excess fluid off of them for the amount of salt they've been consuming. <laughs> well, yeah. Every one of the, the one of these comes out of medical. Every single person in Atlanta has to get diuretics. <laughs> They're all bloated. Their salt intake is way too high. They need more fresh foods. Although, if you do the idea that the Prometheus has been there or been running back and forth all along, um, kind of helping them limp along, well, not all along, but for the last. So the idea then is the Prometheus got there and turned around and went back to try to get reinforcements or whatever. I think they would actually have to eventually, I mean, I think that once that they got the Daedalus, that either the Prometheus or the Daedalus, whichever one could do the trip faster, and I think the Daedalus is a newer version of the ship. The Prometheus was like their first. So like there's, the Daedalus and the Prometheus aren't the same kind of ship, are they? I, I, I think they're different. The, the Daedalus and the Apollo and the Russian ship are all of the same design. But I thought right. the Prometheus, the Prometheus was, was like the, it was like the three hundred one or no, it was like the three hundred three, and the the Daedalus was the three hundred four or something like that. It was it was something the model, like that. It was the model before. So I, what I think that the, actually the Daedalus is a little faster. So I think that the Prometheus and the Daedalus would probably would have gone out together for the second trip, and the Prometheus would have stayed in orbit or landed on the city to offer more protection. Yeah, it's next 303. And the th I, I do remember that the Daedalus is a 304. So th the Daedalus is the next. So I think the Daedalus would have been doing the back and forth trips and the Prometheus probably would have stayed. Because the city is very vulnerable. Because mm -hmm. if they don't have the, the energy to run shields and they're only using one tower, they probably don't have enough energy to use the chair. Well, I think I would do the idea that they have the, they have, it's not so much the energy that's the issue as it is the fact that they can't fix stuff to make this, to power the city sufficiently. They can't fix the stuff that allows them to power the chair, um, that they just aren't proficient enough as much as they try. And it could be that maybe early experiments, they were damaging the city more than they were fixing it or something like that. Um, but I think eight months out, so it would actually, um, Honestly, depending on how long the Prometheus has been there, it actually might be a little bit longer than a year before McKay gets there. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, but the, the Prometheus went out in response to the letters. Right? Um, 
to me, that part was a little bit murky, exactly what happened when, because um, they got the letters and they started doing something, right? On Atlantis' side, the next thing they hear is the gate opens and Everett, is it Everett that comes through and says, courtesy of O'Neill, they use the ZPM to open the gate to send Everett, or is it is it Everett? I can't remember. Who comes through with with this with all the Marines and the rail guns, which they should have had from the beginning, and then they put the ZPM on the Daedalus and the, and they use the ZPM to accelerate the faster than light drive to get to Pegasus in a in what what was it three days they had to hold the city. I haven't seen these episodes in a while, but I don't remember. I remember the episode where they found the ZPM. Um, the Stargate episode where they found the ZPM, but I don't remember. I don't remember. Actually, I, I have um, very little memory of what the whole Prometheus plotline was, other than the fact that Prometheus got destroyed. The Prometheus was in commission for three years before it was destroyed in the Ori conflict, right? Three or four years. But I know that when Vala hijacks it, they were on their way to Pegasus, and the Daedalus wasn't ready. Right. They were right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the energy monster, on it's just, my. I mean, I don't know what Kira would do, but for me, the energy monster is one of the things they would not have encountered. Um, well, the thing is, is they, in your plot, um, John doesn't go to Athos. He doesn't pick up the necklace. The Athosians don't end up on the city. The exactly. kid doesn't discover the energy monster. Right. So the energy monster is actually still lurking in the closet. Along, yeah. with, along with old Elizabeth <laughs> in your plot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Different closets, obviously. There are a lot of problems. That nanite lab, there's a lot of problems on the city that don't get don't get discovered because they're isolated in a small part of it. Central. And they and they the never really lab. get right and they never really get a chance to explore. So they can't explore, I would think. I mean, it was just too dangerous. Right. And I think Sumner would have a really heavy hand with that. Right. I think he I think operationally security, they'd find every way in and out of the tower they're in and, and they'd they'd like close them off and make sure that they couldn't get out into the larger city. Because once he finds out about the Wraith and with any research, I think that they it's a reasonable assumption that there, that there's a certain likelihood that there might be some Wraith hibernating on the city. Um and without power and without backup, I think Sumner would be very careful about access to the city. I think he would be, you know, militant about an alpha site. I mean, once the, they know about the Wraith and maybe they encounter them on another planet or something, I think they would encounter them in a different way. But once he finds out about it, I think he'd take control of the expedition. I think it would be a case of, you know, very strict operational security. They leave and they leave, they go to and from the city through an alpha site. They never gate to the city directly. Um I just think he would be Okay, so the Prometheus was actually out ahead of the letters. So the Daedalus was the one launched in response to the letters. So maybe they were always trying to get the Daedalus together to go. And um But if the Prometheus gets there unmolested. They get their head of the storm, for starters. Yeah. They yeah. get their head. So There'd be a lot of the people, there'd be some, I think there'd be some people who would die in this whole thing, but it'd be more like mishaps on the city than, or maybe an occasional mishap off world, or maybe their first encounter with the Wraith. Someone gets fed on by, I don't know, 
they encounter a wraith like on foot or whatever, or maybe they encounter a wraith on a city. They could actually encounter one that wakes up and comes to the main tower. And that's why they find out about them and Sumner locks down the central tower. Well, we do know there's a hibernating queen on the planet. Right. But weren't there also hibernating wraith on the city? I don't remember. I mean, I have one in Sentinels of Atlantis, but I'm not. The queen is um in a ship. She's in a dart very near the um the thermal the Yeah, but her that's her, but the Wraith who was giving Taylor nightmares, that was not the Queen. Because it was it was it was roaming around the city. And was it beamed down when they when stat was it Stackhouse where Markham died? Markham. Was was it be, did it beam down when Markham died when they were doing that thing with the Brotherhood? All right, I have things he beamed down. But he beamed, the supposition was that he beamed down. I don't know if that's necessarily fact. But if they are having problems and they found that underwater platform, I think Sumner would, that, that it's a, it's a power generator. Yeah. It's a thermal power source. I think that they would probably try to, to get it. And if they did try to get it, they would they would attract that attention of that queen who's hibernating in a dart very near it. She mm -hmm. swims to it and comes on board when she senses food. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, I mean, it's one of those things, like, even if you don't write the events, right, you have to step through all the things that happened and figure out how did they learn about the wraith? This didn't happen. That didn't happen. It'd just be part of the plotting process. And... But John, Taylor tells them about the wraith before they ever encounter the wraith. But hearing about the wraith and ex I think and experiencing them, yeah, experiencing yeah, the wraith completely different. Because they could say we have this great enemy, en en enemy that sucks the life force out, and it, it take uh, Americans are just going to be cocky, you know. Um, it, anybody who's U.S. military is just going to be cocky about that kind of thing, and I think Sumner's no exception until he encounters a wraith. Especially since they had so much success with the gold. Right. And they might not think that a gold, um, they might not think that whatever's in Pegasus would be a match for what they've already encountered. So the arrogance is. But yeah, hearing about a space catfish and actually meeting a space catfish. Not really the same thing. No. <laughs> Although, honestly, catfish are creepy. Have you ever seen a catfish that wasn't on your plate? Yes, I not recommended. They have teeth. I think. I think that's when I saw in the aquarium that really creeped me out. Oh, honey, they don't have to be in the military to be incredibly full of themselves. Or unmarried. You just just take out just take out men. Okay, leave in men. Take out the first two words. Okay, so men are incredibly full of themselves. That's accurate. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> that is a note fish. That is totally a note fish. Catfish are all kinds of a note fish. Uh, yeah, that thing. I, I can't look at that. Oh my god. I don't want to have to avoid the chat room. Uh. The giant catfish has teeth. Like little spine teeth. Like shark teeth. 
We just don't need any of that. We just don't need it. That's much better. <laughs> I'm still in that picture because I'm pretty sure I'm going to cast him as Aaron Hotster. I think it might have broke my... It broke my brain, but it also, I think it cured my problem. <laughs> I don't even have a problem and I feel cured. <laughs> um, it's pretty hard to go wrong with Richard Armitage in the beard, right? <laughs> uh, hello, Daddy. I know. Wow. Although The Rock still wins the Hello, Daddy Award of the Week. Right? Every time I go to me, wow. I'm like, damn. Wow. Damn, Dwayne. You got that. You rocked that, baby. Bring it. Okay, so what's next in your plot? Um, I think that, you know, I want Rodney to kind of like um, take stock, pay attention, figure out where the problems are, both technology-wise and personnel-wise, and um, make a decision about whether or not he can stay out there. Is he going to be given the power he needs to fix these things? Or is he going to be undermined? Is he going to have to answer questions he doesn't have time for? Um, is this worth his time? So I think he would have those questions. You know, um, am, am, am I going to do all this for you to, to, to be dismissed again? To be ignored? To be ridiculed for being right? Again? Yeah. Is Weir alive? Is he going to have to deal with her? See, the thing is, is how much I enjoy the idea of Weir being killed, probably about Kavanaugh's stupidity. I also really like the idea of Weir still being there, trying to wrangle for control now that the IOA is back into the situation. And um, Rodney, like, being utterly intolerant of her. Yeah. Because I think at that point, politicians would be like, the last thing on earth he'd want or Atlantis that he'd want to deal with. Um, and so, but also it, it's really appealing. The idea that Slender took over the base or the mission and Weir got herself killed trying to undermine him. Maybe with Kavanaugh. Just, just damn. I, I actually really do like the idea of, Dwayne Johnson, I thank your mama. Just thank you. Holy Hannah Banana. Hello, Daddy. Okay. <laughs> Damn. See, that's how that's how we get that's how we I get distracted. My brain just it just rebooted. It rebooted in a in a I feel like really, he's about to really deliver the people's elbow and he hasn't done that in decades. <laughs> but I'm all aboard that train. Yeah. Some people need the people's elbow. Actually, in that picture, you know what it makes me think of is in Rampage when he was putting the chokehold on that guy and that guy was slow to pass out. He's like, just go ahead and pass out. It's a big arm. I just, when he talked about when he, that, it's a big arm. It's a big arm. Just go ahead and pass out. I just, I laughed my ass off. I had to keep pausing the movie because I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> oh, Reaper. Dwayne Johnson used to be a wrestler for the WWE. E. E. Which Though at the time w it was WWF. They lost. So they the got sued by the World Wildlife Fund. And lost, which as they rightfully should have. Yeah. So they had to change their name. Yes, Margaret, he was. He was called The Rock. 
He was a wrestler. And he had this move where he would get up on the ropes and elbow people. And he called it the people's elbow. And he would like launch themselves himself at them and land on them with his elbow. And it was the people's elbow. And I have a list of people who need it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Except not in the fake way that they do in, in wrestling. But in reality. <laughs> And I imagine if you, yeah, there you, you go. That, w- that would be it. If you go to uh, YouTube, you could probably watch him deliver it on somebody. <laughs> Speaking of things, you guys are too young to, um, to. Ice-T recently performed at the VMAs. And I saw this meme that said, you guys know that there are people out there who are wondering why Detective Tutuola was <laughs> Singing on the VMAs. And I was like, oh my god, that's absolutely 100% accurate. There are people who have no idea who he is. I, I, I'm hurting here. Stop it. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> but yeah. Ice T. In fact, when Ice T was original was first cast to play a cop um, on SVU, people there were a lot of people who were really furious because he had a lot of music out um, that was very uh, degrading towards cops. Uh, degrading is the wrong word. Um, insulting towards cops. He was um, he's very controversial casting, um, but yeah. Detective Tutuola rapping on the VMAs. <sighs> yeah, him and um, Olivia Benson are the only original cast members left of SVU. Marissa, isn't she gorgeous? When she was younger, I thought she would have made a perfect Eve Dallas. She even has a little dent in her chin. She did when she was younger, when her face was a little plumper. She'd been great. Very beautiful woman. And remains so. I mean, just she's she's aging beautifully. Woman's got going on. So because I am a shipper, because I'm definitely I'm I'm going down with that ship, I think that, you know, I feel like I wouldn't be able to write the story without some kind of romance with John. <laughs> I just and we're, we're, we're with you. We're with you. <laughs> so would you have them, would you have John go instead to, or have them meet on the city? Meet on the city. I don't think John would leave Pegasus. I don't think John would leave. I'm not even sure John can leave the city if the city is as damaged and malfunctioning as it is. I don't think they would be inclined to I, th- I think they want to keep all their gene carriers that they can on the city as much as possible. So I think it would be on the city. <clears throat> I think they would totally pimp John out to keep McKay. As Sebastian says, you gotta know when to pimp somebody out for cake. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be afraid to pimp your own father for cake. <laughs> yeah, I think they would do all kinds of atrocious things if they thought they needed to. But the thing is, that they just don't need to go that far. I, I honestly think that just <laughs> that just a little honesty is all that's going to be required. 
all you know all McKay really needs is science and coffee. Everything else is well cake. <laughs> um, what might have been? I don't know if I would keep Sumner alive. I don't know. It would depend on whether or not I wanted um, what kind of dynamic I want there to be in the leadership of the city. Because um, John let Elizabeth get away with a lot of shit that Sumner would not have. And if I want her there to be the the political angle, I think that if Sumner was alive, he would have neutered her the first time he saw a race. And by the time Rodney got there, she would have absolutely no power whatsoever. It would honestly be in no position to get it back. I um, Sumner lived the first year of the expedition in Ties That Bind, but it's entirely off screen. Um, of course, I killed him in the first episode slash chapter of Revenant. Um, although I do want to write Squeaky Will John, where John goes back in time and he gets in Sumner's good graces and then just like drives everybody nuts preparing for the expedition. Sir? Servers, yeah. (laughs) Sir? (laughs) I've been reading. (laughs) I was looking at the supply list and (laughs) Sir, SG-1 has encountered a lot of hostile aliens. A lot. And Daniel Jackson gets kidnapped a lot. Have you noticed? Is that something that happens to civilians around here? I was wondering. I think maybe we should lowjack the civilians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, in Atlantis, they do have location chips, but I don't think they have those chips in SG1. Which, you know, why not? Why don't they? Right? Right? Oh, fandom is having a stroke right now. AO3 is Over- down. Oh, God. Everybody just breathe. It just breathe. Take deep breaths. It was a planned outage, okay? It's a planned outage. Everything is fine. But I hit one just of the AO3 breaths. I hit one of the AO3 links. And I went, oh, okay, we're in that period where it's out. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Find it'll, your happy place. It'll be back. Pick the most attractive person of your choice in your happy place. Take off all their clothes. <laughs> okay. Not mad at this idea. So your, your Rodney second wave story, Sumner is alive or dead? I know you kind of talked about both, but I'm not sure which way you'd go. Are you there? Can you guys hear me? I'm not sure which one of us is not coming through. I, Kira's definitely not talking because I don't see her her thing being, blinking. Okay, so people are hearing me. Yes, no, nobody's hearing you. Hearing you, Kira. You you need to reconnect. Although, can you hear me now? I can hear you, and it's recording still going. There you go. The recording is still going. As cool. far as I, as far as I can tell, yeah. At some point, she just, yeah, stopped coming through. So, Sumner alive or dead? So, am I gone again? Oh, you're there. Okay. What was I saying? Uh, well, the last thing, um, 
I heard you talking about, you were talking about Elizabeth, um, the last part that was related to plotting. You talked about wanting to do the squeaky wheel verse, but the last thing that was about, that I heard about plotting for this story was around the stuff around Elizabeth still being alive and wrestling for control and that kind of thing. And then you mentioned the squeaky wheel, John's story you wanted to write, the servers, um, and then some of the things he might say to Sumner. And then I wasn't hearing anything from you, so I just decided to ask, so Sumner alive or dead? Oh, um, I don't know. It's, you know, it's iffy. I like the idea of writing John and Sumner having a really good relationship and just being like bros, you know, mm-hmm. and just, you know, having each other's backs. I like the idea of that. It'd also be really amusing to write Sumner watching John fall stupidly and hopelessly in love with McKay against his will and finding it really amusing. but really that's your type (laughs) i think you're inappropriately amused by this situation colonel (laughs) that's your type john be like yeah i guess so (laughs) i don't even know i don't even i don't even he's really competent And I like competence. We do like competence. Competence is hot. <laughs> yeah, competence and thigh holsters. I mean, John and totally be the name of the series. It really, I'm, <laughs> I'm down for that. I'm down for competence and thigh holsters. Um, I do think Sumner, I'm here for it. I do think Sumner living is something that's in, in a positive way. Something that's underexplored. I've read a couple stories where Sumner lives, and it's not a good thing. Um, but on the other hand, uh, as we've discussed in the past, my, you know, the, the, how much I've read in the Stargate, Stargate Atlantis is relatively minimal compared to how much there is. So it's, it could just be that I haven't found it. It's rare for Sumner to live. It's even rarer for Sumner and John to have even a remotely, um, respectful relationship in fandom. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm just saying it's really stupid rare. We don't need none of that. Well, it, you know, it's because Summer's character didn't get a lot of development before um, his death, and it it creates a um, situation where where writers in the fandom have have kept him in that very small, um, undeveloped place. And whereas McKay and I mean even Elizabeth and John um, grew and changed with the series, Sumner remains static. Although I think of all the characters in Atlantis, that Rodney had the most growth. Mm-hmm, definitely. But yeah, I think confidence is really sexy. The reasons why I actually find the character of McKay so attractive is because he is really competent. He's got big hands and broad shoulders. And I like that kind of thing. <laughs> Just my thing. Nothing wrong with that. But I think it would be really interesting to write Sumner having a good relationship um, with um, with John and being a good commanding officer. Being someone who you know pays attention, who understands the pulse of his um his company understands what's going on with them and how they're functioning as um as 
a military force, um, someone who appreciates the talents that he's been given, you know, um, and not some arrogant hard ass who basically gets people killed. I mean, and, and that's just, you know, ugly. Did I die again? Nope. I hear okay. you. But I also like the idea of Rod- of Rodney coming in and fixing all the stuff in the city, and John being like, "Why do you gotta be so competent? What? Why do I like this so much? It's so rude." <laughs> he could actually that could be a comment he makes. He could just make he could just make a random comment or something to Sumner about how sexy um, competence is. And Sumner kind of gives him a look, like, uh huh. <laughs> sure, it is. Yeah, I think John would really appreciate McKay for coming in and fixing the city. And since John has the strongest impression of the ATA gene, he'd be feeling it a lot more than any other any, um, um, anyone else in the city as she wakes up mm-hmm. and responds to McKay. And so it would be like, not only would John be kind of slowly but stupidly falling in love with McKay, but so would the city. <laughs> the city loves him terribly. Now, it's my head canon that John Shepard is, at the very least, bisexual. Um, so I wouldn't write a freak out. I wouldn't have John having some gay. Um, existential crisis i just don't it, I, I just don't see his character that way i'm you know either he's gay or he's bi and he then this is not new information to him yeah the straight freak out's not something i'd be terribly interested in writing either because it's well freak out it speaks to internalized homophobia and i don't i don't have any interest whatsoever in writing that the character of John Shepard actually strikes me as someone who's very comfortable in his body, very comfortable in knowing what he wants and getting what he wants when he wants it. Um, so I just don't see him being all that freaked out about getting a boner for a guy. Oh, it could be because Joe Flanagan said he pretty much played the character like the character was in love with McKay. <laughs> well, there you have it. There's actually a story called Loving Rodney, and I do believe that's by Lady Raw as well, where it the is. city um the city is, she starts she first she's aware of John. I remember this very distinctly. She's very aware of John because he's like a bright spot to her. But Rodney keeps fixing her. So she starts devoting cycles. Most of the story, I think most, if not all the stories told from Atlanta's point of view, right? No, it's not all of it, but a lot of it is. But she keeps devoting more and more processing power to watching Rodney and she kind of falls in love with him. Not in a romantic sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's called loving Rodney. So it's a wonderful. It's story. really good. If you haven't read, well, as we've already said before, you can't go wrong with lady raw. Yeah. If you haven't, if you haven't read her entire like Stargate, even if you don't read other, her other fandoms, if you haven't read her entire Stargate, you know, um, you need to <laughs> just go over there. Yeah. I was say, it's not the bookshelf, not the right word, but everything she's done in Stargate, just it, it, it's exceptional. Wraith Killers, her catalog. If you've not read Wraith catalog. Killers, Thank I you. don't even want to talk to you. Yeah, seriously, because Wraith Killers is the bomb, the bomb diggity. I mean, you get all the cat feels and 
it's just really original way she deals with the race and it's great. It's great. What are you linking us to now? Lady Ra is great. Yes. <laughs> she's way she's even better than the Chad. And Chad she's 100% better than the Chad. And the Chad gives us our gives us allows us to do our this gives Wraith killers. Wraith. But yeah, I would say actually Wraith Killers is um um not the very I mean yeah the the very first McShep story I ever read was like was um um Time in a Bottle by Astolot. Uh but Wraith Killers was right up there with the first I don't know ten or fifteen fix that I read when I when I entered the McShep pairing um as a fan. Um but Astolot broke that cherry. Uh like a boss. Uh, and I regret nothing. I hope she doesn't either. <laughs> uh, but, and then um, Ordinary Life. Um, outstanding. And then I wrote Wraith, Wraith Killers was pretty high up there. And Fair Trade by Estefi, which, you know, if you've not read Fair Trade by Estefi, what is wrong with you? Everything. Everything is wrong with you. <laughs> She can't go even fix with you. Go she fix yourself know. before you wreck yourself. <laughs> if Akira wrecks you. She has it all could kinds be, yeah. Yeah, she, She's feeling judgy. But fair trade. I mean, a lot of people don't like the coffee shop AU or whatever. But get over that. Because it's not about that. I mean, that's there. But the relationship dynamics between John and Rodney and fair trade is beautiful. John's injuries his psychological issues um their cats <laughs> i mean it's just like it's just really good i am i'm a fan for life um but uh yeah i mean fair trade by estefi um but yeah Astolot is to blame for my for my love of mixship with time in a bottle, which is also beautiful. One of the things I like about the McKay Shepherd pairing um, in fandom is that, um, and I think one of the reasons why I found it so galling that they did what they did in canon with McKay and his relationship with Jennifer Keller is that John accepts Rodney for who he is, and he's there for it anyway. And in canon, we get this relationship with this woman who seems to be intent on shaping and changing McKay into something she finds palatable. And it's really it's infuriating. Yeah, it really is. And gross. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's because, you know, John's like, okay, you know, he's an asshole. He's really smart. He's an asshole. Um, but he's super confident. He's got a great ass. He's an asshole. <laughs> but John's still there for it. And I mean, and you see it in the fanfic that, you know, John, John doesn't, there's this kind of this deep understanding in the SJ fandom and you never see John trying to change Rodney into something he's not. That he accepts Rodney for his flaws and his mistakes and um, he loves him anyway. And it's just like, that's what, that's kind of what we all want. 
right? Mm-hmm. We all want that person who looks at us and sees our baggage and our flaws and says, okay, yeah, I'm still here for it. And and doesn't do the relationship with the intention of you changing. Right? But yeah, I mean, read Fair Trade. It's just, it's excellent. Because John and Rodney both are um, flawed and hurt and um, neither one of them got their dream come true. Um, life's not fair. That's the one where John but has a physical disability. Disability. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, he gets surgery and it gets better. Um, it's a really excellent um, AU because Ronan and Taylor are on Earth and um, they both know John. Um, and, and Ronan's actually a surgeon. And I really appreciated the um, that choice um, of writing Ronan with such a successful and intellectual career because a lot of people treat him like he's an idiot and I hate it. Yeah, like he's just a gun. You know, he's just a... Lot, you know, honestly, watching Rodney yell at people is a spectator sport. <laughs> but yeah, Fair Trade is gorgeous. So I highly recommend that you read it. It's really good. Um, the the character the character work is just fantastic. It makes it. And it's so easy to see. It's so easy to see that love, and the and the romance that comes with it, and it's very inspiring. Um, because you know, a lot of times people write this hard road for their characters, which is fine. But I wrote a scene, I think it's between, I think it's Harry and Hermione, where Harry tells Hermione that that uh, that love shouldn't hurt, that it should make you feel good and should lift you up and um, support you, and um. That's the kind of romance I like to write, you know, where two characters who aren't perfect, who accept each other, you know, support each other and lift each other up and not try to turn the other person into this Rodney robot. Yeah. I don't, I don't like, I don't, I get really, I mean, th- that, to me, that was my big objection in the MCU to the, the Pepper Tony you know, relationship. It has nothing to do with Gwyneth Paltrow. She went into that relationship planning for him to be be different. Her whole, even when she wasn't in a relationship with him, it was all about him being different. And he needed to change, needed to change. And I just, I find it so objectionable. Uh, Yes, there has to be compromise in relationships. That's a little bit, that's a little bit different than um, there's something fundamental about you that I plan to see different, see change once we're together. So I don't like seeing that in, in, um, also, most of the characters I write already have had a tough road to hoe in, in canon. I don't need to give them a tougher road, or at least not a much tougher right. road. So, you know, a, a, I know a lot of people really like the angst thing. They like they like that, the angst, the angst of your storylines. They like putting a lot of obstacles in the character's path. Um, I'm more likely to put obstacles from a plot perspective, you know, obstacles in the plot for the character to overcome and deal with. But I usually don't put a lot of obstacles in the romance because it's just just not what I like to read. No, me neither. I like, but you know, also, it's not love if you look at somebody and think, okay, if I change this, 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 and this about them, I can tolerate them. That's not love. 
No, it's not. And it's a really unhealthy dynamic that people are shown over and over and over again. Just like that whole thing about jealousy being sexy or stalking. I'm talking to you, Stephanie Meyer, being attractive. No, jealousy is not sexy. It's not flattering. No. And I, I, I told you that I, when I was looking for that day, I was doing some, cause I, sometimes when we're doing a podcast, I'd look some stuff up ahead of time, you know, like, especially when we're doing, working with tropes, it's like, what are the most common, what are popular tropes? What do people like that kind of thing? And I was looking up like popular tropes, like thematic tropes and stuff one day. And I was just to Google what are favorite tropes. And you, man, Reddit is a fucked up place. I'm telling you. And there's this whole thread. And I mentioned the other night about the one, the mutual, the mutual unrequited thing, which I went, I don't think they know what mutual or unrequited means, but anyway, right? not, but the other one that was on that same thread was the harmless stalker. And I mean, There's I, no such thing. I wanted to punch my monitor. I found that so infuriating that somebody, that, that somebody would. <laughs> That's just like the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. Not really, uh, but it's harmless. pretty close for this evening. <laughs> Right. It, it, is, it, it is the most disgusting thing we've said so far tonight. The idea that a stalker, A, is harmless, and B, that there's something romantic about that. Because the idea, the thing about this was it was a romance trope, right? The couples get together. That's what I was looking at was romance tropes. Was the couple gets together, you know, th through through finding out that about their harmless stalker, that the that they find out he's really harmless and he really likes him or whatever. And then the mutual unrequited thing. I was like... It's mutual. If it's mutual, and it's if it's mutual, it's requited. That's just the way that works. But whatever. That's so dumb. Anyway, but the harmless stalker thing. But there were a lot of really like when I was like looking through Reddit for what people were talking about because people will ask all the time, "What are your favorite fan fiction tropes?" People chime in, and they are unafraid to just reveal their ugly like right out there. Oh, I love when a <laughs> character. I love it when a character is fourteen and gets together with a forty-year-old. I'm like, just put it out there. Why don't you? You're really, you're really, really enamored with your supposed anonymity there. Look, we we told you to let your freak flag fly. We made a mistake. Put, put it your away. flag down. Yes. Put <laughs> it up. Put it up. I they just they put it all out there. They put it all out there. Like I like it when it, when when someone's under underage and they get together with somebody who's much older or I like arranged marriages or forced marriages. Oh. Forced marriage. <laughs> Just, That's rape, you asshole. I'm like, this is not. I mean, what about? And this is the romance thread. I'm like, what about this is romantic to you, bitches? Finally, somebody says the boring old slow burn. I was like, thank fuck. I don't like a slow burn. Thank, <laughs> thank you for coming in with a trope that actually could be romantic. I actually, I can appreciate a slow burn. What I cannot appreciate is a glacial burn. If if you're if you're three hundred thousand words in and they're not even talking to each other yet, just fuck you. They they don't. They, your characters. Don't you're writing Genfic. Why did you leave me on? Yes. <laughs> Moving on. But it's not all what the, I'm here on, for. on the flip side. On the flip side, I, I was scrolling down as you do. Pick a fan. Pick my fandom of choice to go see what has been. You know my favorite fandoms, right? Whatever they are, I will go to them and click complete. 
and look at the most recently completed works in that fandom, right? Whether it's Teen Wolf or NCIS or Stargate or whatever, you know, go see what's been recently completed. Because they don't, you know, they don't turn up in my search results and under the normal circumstances, right? And the new stuff hasn't got a lot of kudos yet. So that's how I look for when I'm, when I'm thick diving, that's one of my starting points is this is the fandom I want to read it. I'm going to go see what's been finished recently. And there's this story tag, slow burn. And then it's like, and the, and the tags were, you know, because authors can't resist telling you three times the same thing. Slow burn, the slowest, totally glacial. And then the story 16K. And it's complete. And I'm like, it wasn't that slow. <laughs> I don't think if, you understand what glacial means. I've had stories that I didn't think were slow burn, but it took me 50k to get to them together. So I I don't think you know what the slowest is. <laughs> I was I mean, I would have I would have like clicked on their name to see what their longest work was because that could have been the longest thing they've ever written. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, Shadow. I don't think you can even qualify as a slow burn if it's not lava length. So if you haven't hit novel yeah. length, there, you you can't even begin to achieve slow burn. So you got it. You got to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a Spartan, Margaret, because I wouldn't sit through 100, much less 250K of cock teasing. I'm, I'm done. I'm like, nope. Dude, there's a story I used to follow that I think is somewhere between three, 300, three quarters of a million and a million words. And the characters are still not together. Fuck no! Stop uh, reading that Jim fic. <laughs> <laughs> now a lot of other people got together, but not the two main characters. I like a Jim fic. Just tell me. Yeah, j don't tease me with it. Also, I really hate it when every minor side pairing known to man is tagged in the fic, and it's like, dude, I'm Look, here. Just give me the main pairing, a secondary pairing, and then say other pairings. I'll figure it out for myself. I will. I will. I mean, if I'm there for the Derek and the Styles, I I don't I, I don't want to have to. I don't need to go through every can, especially also Teen Wolf fandom. Just just a I'm just gonna rant here for a second. Stop tagging these fix, Derek Kate. That's just gross. Rape is not a pairing. Because that wasn't a relationship. That was an adult sexually abusing a child. Yeah, sexual abuse is not a relationship. Stalking at most, you could call him a young young man. He was uh, under the age of consent. It was rape in California. Um, it was not a pairing. I also I also have a personal pet peeve around these one sided relationships. You know, like you know Derek Styles, and then you know the next pairing is Peter Styles one sided. I'm like. That's not a relationship. Somebody's boner is not a relationship. Because that's what they're saying, right? Is that somebody's boner for somebody else rises to the level of relationship. Stop it. But whether whether it's that pairing That or goes back parent. to that harmless stalker thing, right, though, doesn't it? Well, if people are giving legitimacy to, to somebody, one person having Creepy feelings. Creepy-ass I mean, behavior. It's sort of like you also see, I see the Gibbs-Tony one-sided thing, too, right? It's like... <laughs> unrequited does not equal a pairing. Stop it. The problem is, and the reason why this is a problem in a system that's based on tagging is when you searching by the tag, you get all of those because the tag wranglers don't make a distinction between Derek Styles and Derek Styles one-sided. It's the same fucking meta tag. 
So when you click on Derek Styles, you're going to get Derek Styles one-sided too, which means you might actually have the main pairing being Noah Styles. Thank you very much. Oh, oh, oh. Team Wolf, get in the corner. <laughs> the whole fandom, get in the corner. Don't think, and I'm not even, and that one I'm even making up. I'm not even making that up. You're like, I know you're not. I know. I've seen, I've been over there. I've seen it. You're trying to. I didn't read it, but I saw it. I'm like, honestly, although if you're, if you put Noah Styles one sided, I, I would consider that a warning, not a pairing. Um, but whatever it, one sided relationships, basically one sided relationship is saying that one person's attraction is worth calling a relationship, and it isn't. That's I, I agree. It's completely validating that whole stalker, that harmless stalker thing. It, it's Gross. saying it's saying that one person's sexual interest in another it rises to the level of a relationship, and it doesn't. I mean, can you imagine all the people I've turned down for dates in my life? If the if my life were tagged as all of those people are tagged in the history of my life, as the story of my life is tagged as me having one sided relationships with these assholes. Ew. You, you have her. <laughs> I, I've, if I freaked anybody out and it stops you from tagging stuff that way, I'm not good. I'm not. I'm not, a, I'm not sorry. Yeah, it's like those stories you hear about girls who got. Um, last year there was that high school kid that threatened to shoot up the high school because the girl turned him down. And when they did interviews, several of the people um, said that they didn't know why she just didn't go out with him. Seriously. My stem, my 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 face is making the most deeply unpleasant expression. Seriously, I go back to that involuntary celibate thing as well, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, the only, you know, the only thing I think is useful about it is having a uh, uh, a short lingo I can call those losers. <laughs> it also helps weed out those losers because they're really easy to spot the people who like the forced marriage trope that goes back to like the whole arranged marriage trope and historical fiction you know um, the Scottish man kidnaps the English woman and marries her for political reasons and um <sighs> They have to consummate the union so the church will recognize their marriage or she'll get kidnapped again or she'll get kidnapped and, you know, and then. You know. No. No. We vote no. I like, I read a, I read a fic once. Um, a fic. I, I read a book once a very long time ago where, um. Young woman, her parents were trying to marry her off to this utter prick, and she didn't. She didn't want any of it, so she runs off. And the first man she encounters that looks remotely decent in her mind, she approaches him and says, "I need to get married, and I've picked you." <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you're not bad looking." <laughs> So she basically arranges her own marriage, right? And the thing is, she actually picked out a nobleman. And he's like a marquee or something. Or Is, is that how you say that? Marquee? Mm -hmm. Marquee? Yeah. Marquee. Um, 
And um, he comes to the house and her parents are like upper middle class and, um, you know, offers a dowry or whatever, you know, offers the, the arrangement and they're all like, her parents don't even know what to do with it, right? But they say yes. And then her father's all, her stepfather, I think. It's all like, well, since you didn't want this this marriage with this man that you've you've known all your life, we've given you to this person, and he's all smug about it and shit. And she's like, oh, okay, <laughs> like she hadn't arranged it herself. <laughs> it's <was> very good. <laughs> I I wish I still had it. I would I would I would like to read it again. It's like, oh well, I guess if I don't have a choice, I guess I'll just have to marry him. Shucks. Shucks. Um, now, I have read some good arranged marriage stories, there's no doubt, but arranged marriage is a little bit of a different thing than yeah, um, forced marriage. Yeah. And I've, I've read some forced marriage that, is basically just rape. Yeah. And I've read some stories that are like um, along the lines of, you know, the helping with citizenship thing where they're just pretending they're, they're married, but there's, it's, you know, it's in name only and they fall in love with each other. It, that's actually, I find to be a really good trope for um, potentially really, really good, tr good trope uh, for people to, because one of the things you're trying to do when you're trying to find a way to build intimacy between characters is, is get them in proximity to one another and having to live together is, is a, is a really good way to, get your characters in, in proximity to one another um, so that they can build that intimacy that you need for, for the romance to develop. So, yeah. It's um, all good. So the, so the arranged... Better. <laughs> yeah. So the arranged marriage thing can, can, can work really well. Um, but forced marriage is just, it's just gross. A marriage that, like, you know, parents kind of force kids into, like, you know, you do a a, a historical thing as long as like they're not being forced to consummate this union like immediately um and they like plot together against whoever forced this situation on them i appreciate that you know they give them you know they give themselves time to get used to their circumstances and kind of fall in love and then bang i'm on board but if he's like if he's insisting that the marriage be consummated immediately no, motherfucker, no. Yeah, gross. We may have strong feelings about this. A little bit. It'd be really interesting to write a historical or just, just an arranged um, maybe like a Hobbit fic where the Thane offers, you know, Thorin a whole bunch of different um Hobbit girls as an option to you know for for a marriage, you know, in an arranged marriage thing, and he's like, well, you know, how about that one? Can we ask that one? You want Bilbo? <laughs> Bilbo is a yeah, that's a boy. <laughs> They're gonna be like, I know. <laughs> I actually prefer a boy. He could do it with an eyebrow. Can I have that one? He's a grown he man, a right? He's an adult. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, he's an adult. Wow. Whole, can, can you ask him? <laughs> there's a whole eyebrow wiggle going on. It's like, oh yeah, I know. Believe <laughs> me, I know. I am aware of, of his maleness. Can you ask him? 
ask, not tell. <laughs> People will be like, well, if I must make this sacrifice for the Shire. <laughs> if I must. If I must. He could see, he could see, uh, see Thorin and go, oh, well, it'll be rough. It'll be rough, but I'm. <laughs> for the Shire. I'll do anything for the Shire, uncle. <laughs> oh, thank you, Shadow. Um, I'm really proud of it. Uh, I've finished the first part and I'm working on, um, part two um and which is gonna end with um the battle of moria and um and uh bella will have to come to moria uh because it'll be it'll be the moment when thorin stops being dragon slayer and becomes oaken shield let's put it that way Lightholder's seen the barter bride she saw the barter bride before anybody else did didn't you put it up for EAD? Yeah, there there is a section of Bartered Bride on EAD, but that's a female um, Bilbo, so you wouldn't have so you wouldn't have read that one. I remember it. Though. I remember reading the description of it, and um, like I know I remember. Oh, I haven't. I've plotted that. I've I've not written that part yet with the Battle of Moria, but I know where I'm going with it because I plotted the first half. I did a. I'm, I wanted to do a three art plot. So I did the first arc just to see how comfortable I was with it. Um, and then I was like, okay, how am I going to get him from Dragon Slayer to Oakenshield? And then like he got the Oakenshield name um, during the Battle of Moria. So he's a little older than that now. How do I get there? How do I do this? Um, and, you know, what events will lead him I mean, to get where he is as Thorin Dragon Slayer to Oakenshield if I want to go that route um, what happens during that battle that could surpass the given name he's already been given you know mm -hmm. and so uh, I still don't know if I'm actually going to be able to accomplish that because surpassing Dragon Slayer is a little <laughs> it's a little daunting I mean how do you co uh, how do you go over that right um, but he will become king that day so there's that because um a balrog i don't think he's going to be killing a balrog with a piece of oak i could be wrong i don't know uh yeah the dragon slayer thing i, I mean the dragon dragon slayer smog had one weakness right it was that what what weakness could they explore with a Balrog? That he had that that patch of scale missing or something. Yeah, well, yeah. And Thorin just got a lucky shot. Um, and he wasn't even supposed to be on the battlement. He was being punished because he fell asleep during a meeting. Um, and his father is king. The grandfather is already dead. Um, in that AU. Um. And his father is slowly but surely losing it. And trying to go back to Moria is, is his his final act on Arda, Middle-earth. And so um, Thorin's injured and Bella will have to go there. Um, 
I think I think that in order to surpass the whole dragon thing, I think Thorin's gonna have to take Moria back. He's gonna have to win the fucking day to go from Dragon Slayer to Oakenshield. It has to. You're it, saying it has to. It has to be a bigger victory. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be a big victory. He has to. He has to take Moria back on a humongous level, an absolute done deal level. And there, and there is a Balrog in the damn, you know, in Moria. So that's an issue. Um, Bella could accidentally kill the Balrog. Yes. <laughs> we yes. love it. We love a good accidental death. Or maybe not so is maybe not so accidental because um, that's her man. <laughs> She's all in. That's that's the father of her children. What? You need to back the fuck up. <laughs> I'm I'm I mean I don't I don't know if I, I I mean I might be able to get get over it and and read it. I'm bit, but I could I could see myself definitely being all in on um, Bella Don, Bella Donna Baggins accidentally. Or you use Bella Rose, right? I do. Yeah, I was using Belladonna, but it, it, got, it confusing. got really confusing. So I had to change her name to Bella Rose just so I could keep them separate because it was really difficult talking about her mom and her in the same sentence. I get um, it. So I, I, I could definitely see. Um, in canon, very- Thorin cuts off as um, the Pale Orc's arm, and his. The other orcs drag him back into Moria. In the, yeah, in the movie canon. Yeah. And eventually, from Lord of the Rings canon, Balin goes to Moria and takes it. And then Balin and Ori die in. Right, but they, they take it, but. Um, and so apparently the Balrog let them live there for quite a while and undisturbed. But mm-hmm. he, the Balrog did eventually, eventually appear. take it back. So he could get Moria back. I don't think that's really the issue. I think it's because it, clearly it's just if it, the Balrog let them get away with it. But I mean, is it clear in canon? Star Candle, Star you probably know Northern Rings canon better than most. Um, is it clear in canon, the, like book canon, obviously, because it's not clear in the movies, um, how they lost Moria? After retaking it, after after Balin and Ori went to go retake Mori, is it clear how they lost it? I mean, clearly they were overrun by goblins, but was that just it? Was it was it just the goblins? I remember the goblins. I don't remember what happened in the book with the goblins. If the goblins came first, or if the Balrog came first. Well, in the movies, the, you mean with taking them with with who who overtook them? Well, they were overrun by the goblins, but. It's it's just really not clear what the oh oh orcs orcs sorry Oin was killed by the watcher in the water that tentacle thing Balin was killed at the mirror lake by the thing by the orcs it seems to me that in some places in Lord of the Rings canon and in the Hobbit orc and goblin mean the same thing. Clearly, the movie they look different, but and they separated them out into orc and goblin, like two different species. But in the books, and it seems like to me, I, my memory is fuzzy because I haven't read it in about fifteen years. That the orc and the goblins were basically the same thing. Like the hobbits called them goblins, but they were orcs, or the hobbits called them demons. 
Mm. Well, Durin's Bane was there before. Durin's Bane ran the dwarves, the Dwaro, out of Moria to begin with, right? Right. That's why they called it Durin's Bane. Is because that's how they lost Moria, was to the Balrog. So the dwarves never knew there was a Balrog until Gimli saw it. Orcs, I think, is a derivation of an elven word, but they didn't know what it was. It killed the Balrog killed Durin. They didn't know what it was, which was why they never went in there and book cannon. Okay. So they they, they called it Durin's Bane because they had no idea what it was. Makes sense. Well, the orcs come from fallen elves, specifically uh the elves that refused. Sindarin? 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 Tyrell's one. Tolkien's explanation inside the story was that the true name of the creature was Orc, an anglicized version of the Sindarin Orc. Uh, as the translator of the ancient manuscripts, he substituted Goblin for Orc when he translated Bilbo's diary, but for the Red Book, he reverted to a form of the ancient word. Because the Battle of Moria was all of the dwarf kingdoms coming together to fight, because Azog killed Thror initially in book canon, that's why they went to war. And Thror is Thorin's grandfather. Right. He was one who was king when they were driven out of Erebor. He was like beheaded or something, right? I thought Thorin's brother was beheaded. I think I think Thror was beheaded and they lost their minds. Um... Maybe it was Freren, though, who was beheaded. They might have both been. That seemed to be his go-to. You've got a big blade. You know. Good for lopping off heads. But in an AU, since I've already killed Thror, well, Azog killed Thror, and Thrain is on the throne of Erebor at this time, and he has sent Thorin to the Blue Mountains to basically get as much wealth out of those mountains as they possibly can and send back to Erebor because he's gold mad. Um, and Farron is in the Grey Mountains fighting goblins because he doesn't want to be involved in any of their shit. Um, I didn't kill him. Um, so Thorin and Dees are in the Blue Mountains and they send for Keely and Feely because they don't want the king getting them killed. Which is entirely possible, considering he plans to go for Moria. And Thorin talks to, to um, Dwalin about um, following his father to Moria. Um, because not only is he his father, it's his king. So he's going to go. And Dwalin's like, well, he might be your king. But I'm kind of in, you know, expecting you to be mine. <laughs> so I'd like you not to die. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Thank you. Really appreciate it. <laughs> But Thorin, you know, negotiates with the Shire because he is, um, he's desperate uh, and his people aren't doing well in the Blue Mountains. And Bella comes there and she's so, you know, she's kind of full up with Hobbit and, you know, she kind of turns things around and starts planting things and growing things like, like a Hobbit does. And she kind of makes a home from them there. And then, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be all taken away when his father dies and he, he really doesn't want to go back to Erebor. You know, he's, he, he's really happy in the blue mountains with his little hobbit wife and their little Dwabbits. And, um, he doesn't want the politics. 
or the throne in Erebor, and it's going to be thrown at him where he wants it or not, because his father's going to get himself killed at Moria. And so, part three will be them going to Erebor and dealing with all the bullshit Thrain left behind. Thank you, Thrain. Thank you, Thrain. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, because Deez is married to a um, a very greedy um, man. Um, he's a second marriage, and he didn't. She didn't want it. It was arranged. And the night <laughs> the night they got married, she told him that if he ever touched her, she'd kill him. So their marriage remains unconsummated, and they've been married for decades. Um, and she's serious. And so neither Keely nor Feely like this 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 asshole. Um, and I he's greedy and he wants the throne, so he married the princess thinking that he might get it. Uh, and so I have this scene in my head where well, I don't want to spoil it, but it's going to be really good. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. In my stories, assholes get exactly what they deserve. It's going to be a lot of fun. Of course, it's, you know, it's going to infuriate um, Tolkien fans because Cannon's my bitch. <laughs> I uh, well. Uh, go ahead and complain. Just go ahead and complain. The thing is, is that Tolkien could Tolkien himself could get on AO3 and write L and, and write Lord of the Rings fan fiction, and there would be some pedantic asshole that would get on there and correct him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, in in Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, it would be like five paragraphs explaining why he was wrong about what he was writing. <laughs> Or it could be something like maybe maybe Tolkien could be really enamored with some of the movie interpretation. And I'm using this as a very bad example because I was not enamored with this particular bit of movie interpretation. <laughs> and he could, he could write some fan fiction about all the dwar all all the elves at the at the at the at the Battle of Helm's Deep. And um some, you know, Tolkien purists would respond to him and talk about how there weren't any elves at the Battle of Helm's Deep, and he could be like, You think? Really? It's, it's fan fiction. Wait. Was Legolas at the Battle of Helm's Deep? Well, he was, but there weren't. There wasn't like you know all the rest of them. I thought so. There was Legolas, but there wasn't all the other elves. I mean, Legolas was part of the quest. They were obviously there, but all, all those other elves who showed up, showed up the elven armies, they they they, they weren't there. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, they should have been. Well, they should have been, but that's not exactly the point. They weren't there. I know. He? Why did he kill him? I was like. Ugh. Because he's an asshole. Personally, I think Tolkien shipped the hell out of Gimli Legolas. He would probably be up on AO3 writing Gimli Legolas. <laughs> I think he would be too. He'd, he'd be there's there's a couple of really good like back at back back when the movies first came out. There were a couple of like exceptional um, Legolas Gimli fan artists, and um, I think I think I think Tolkien would have been all in on that. One of my favorite pics is a picture of Orlando Bloom on a horse, and he has a sign on his back that says, if you can read this, the dwarf fell off. <laughs> 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 I 
We're not having that. We're not having any of it. Mm. There was a time travel fic where Legolas and Gimli traveled in time, and they ended up traveling all the way back to the events of The Hobbit. I don't know. I don't think it's finished. Anyway, they were bonded. They were like, you know, soulmates or whatever. And so when Legolas goes back in time, he starts to fade. Um, because he doesn't know that Gimli came with him and he's mourning. Um, and Gimli is barely like he's like eight or nine months off actually being technically an adult. <laughs> you know? And he's demanding to go on the quest because he wants to go get his husband. <laughs> And what is this? And he's technically older than everybody in the company at this point. Except he's in this young body. He's like he's like he's on the cusp of being an adult. And um I'm not sure if it ever finished. I meant to go back and bookmark it so I could pick it up later. But Legolas keeps trying to leave and his father is basically holding him hostage. Um cuz he doesn't want to lose him. I don't remember the title. For those of you who ship it, you're welcome. I'm, I'm clicking. I'm clicking on this link. Well. <laughs> That's not how I expected that to start. My goodness, Gimli, what are you up to? Well, I think the title of that one's Elf Worship. So, you know. Ugh. <laughs> uh. I think they need a spanking for that one. They, 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 they shipped. Let's just put it this way: they shipped a lot of different things. Oh, I like that one. This is the second one. Mm-hmm. I would very much like a link, Willow. If you, if you, if you believe you have that, you have it. I would really appreciate it because I lost it and then I couldn't remember it and then I just, well, I'm an old lady. <laughs> that sounds. That sounds very familiar, Star Kindler. If, if that's not it, I've definitely read one like that. Yes. I remember the opening line of the summary. Yes, that's it. It's called Come Around Again by Scarlet Jedi. That little fan art of Gimli is fucking adorable. It is 205,000 words and it's complete. I'm assuming that that is the... Uh... That is supposed to be Gimli. It's cute as fuck. Did you? I assume you scrolled down. And seen, you've seen the art, right? The, on, the, on the second link. No, no, no. The store. The link that Starkindler gave. Scroll down. <laughs> that is adorable. Isn't that cute? I want to. I want to flick his nose. I'm gonna read that later. That will save me from reading the horrible things I've been reading on fanfiction.net. She just she was dumb. I had a spiral. I had a spiral. It happens to the best of us. It it does. It does. Sometimes we click on something that is just not good for us and we just keep going. Well, I think we've exhausted the podcast topic. I'm open to more discussion, but I think we could probably end the recording and I also have to pee. So <laughs> I do too. But let me end the recording and then um, I'll go pee and come back. Um, yeah. Uh, so I hope this topic was uh, super entertaining and I hope you have a fantastic week and we shall catch you later. Say goodnight, Jilly.
Good night, everyone.